I invite you to follow through. We're going to read the Bible verse for this morning. It's actually a lot of verses, which comes from Colossians this morning. So you can either follow along in your Bible or the words are going to come up on the screen behind me um, and we can follow it along together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are a holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Much, Aaron. Good morning, everybody. In um, 2012, we were doing a tour of Turkey, and we were doing it in a in a little bus with um, six other people. I think it was six other people. Eight, eight was that? Six, six, six. Yeah. six. So, and our and our guide, a Muslim. Um, guide who was very knowledgeable actually in terms of uh, biblical scriptures as well as uh, Islam. Fascinating guy to talk to. But uh, 
One of the things that really has stuck with us from that time has been a deep appreciation, love and respect for the Apostle Paul. And that came as we drove up and down over mountains that Paul walked over. In his determination that the people that lived in those places would hear the message of Jesus, would know that there was a hope and a future for them and that the God of Israel actually was coming to liberate them. And um, so that the, the picture in the background there is one from a, a little place called Cappadocia, which um, some other people say Cap- <laughs> Cappadocia. So... It's all the same. Anyway, and that gives you a bit of an in, insight. So, and it's particularly helpful for us who live here on a coastal plain where things are flat and undulating. And so the idea of walking or even riding a donkey over really rugged mountains, and there was even one point where our bus driver uh, was, we had to get... Um, to a particular place, you know, because you're on a tour and you've got to be in certain places at certain times, and and snow was falling, and we're driving up a mountain. Um, some uh, vehicles are sliding backwards. He's determined that we're going to make it through uh, that before they close the road, because that was it was like that was the dynamic that was going on. And sure enough, we did make it through. And then about 30 minutes after we got over the peak they did actually shut that mountain road and anyone that was travelling behind us uh, was now had to take a massive, massive detour around or just wait out a couple of days until the snow melted and they could resume their journey. So this is the context when, when Paul is writing and if you've got your Bibles, please open them to um, 2 Colossians 1 and that reading that we had. And, and particularly the, the last two verses there, verses 28 and 29. So this is, the concept, this is what Paul's got in his mind. Um, well, this is what I want you to have in your mind this morning. We want you to have. When Paul says that we tell others about Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, it, there's an intensity that comes from this. Paul understands that the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. This is not some take it or leave it. If you, you know, it's like, if you don't get this today, maybe you'll get it tomorrow. It's like, no, Paul's like, I'm warning people. I am teaching everything with, with the very fiber of my being. I want people to be captured by this. I want to teach them everything, all the wisdom that God has given us. Now he unpacks this in all of his letters. And one of the things you find is you become more and more familiar with Paul's letters is the incredible amount of overlap and sort of things that he's saying um, again and again. He's repeating them. Because Paul says, what I want is I want to present these people who are not like me. Remember who Paul is? Paul's a Jew. He's a rabbi. He's a Pharisee. He's an intellectual. And here he is in the in some of these backwater little places, not all of them are little places, but he's like, I'm labouring. I want to present these people to God. Perfect. That's, what I'm, that's my goal. That's my motivation, Paul says. 
complete. When you, th- when you see, if your translation's got the word perfect, um, don't think of it as like moral perfection or something like that, or perfect and go, well, that's unattainable. What Paul is really driving at, and our English translations perhaps don't capture it very well, is it's one, I want you to become mature and complete in Christ. That's what's driving him in this reality. And so he says, that's why I work. That's why I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Now, many of you are in this room. You've been following Christ for a number of years. Some of you are new into following Christ. We're at different places. But however far along the journey you are, you understand that it requires work, it requires struggle, you have to depend on Christ's mighty power that works within you, but at times it all feels like it's your effort and you're not getting enough help from Jesus. At other times you're being carried along by the Spirit of Christ and you go, this Jesus thing is so awesome and easy. And And we understand that there's a dynamic that's involved in this. 27 years ago, I think it's 20, yeah, master. 26 years ago when we started New Life Church in a lounge room with a few friends, one of the, the thing that drove us at that point and still drives us today is to see the city of this region transformed. To see it transformed. To become a city that sings what we were singing this morning. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he fascinating? To sing and to worship and to give thanks and to praise him. This is what still drives us 26 years later. We've not yet taken hold of that. We live in the tension of God. We feel like we've made some progress, but boy, it's been slow. It's been hard. There's been lots of struggle, lots of battle. And look how far we still have to go. You just got to walk around the streets here. You just got to walk around Fremantle and know that not everybody is singing the praises of Jesus in this region yet. We still have a lot of work to do, people. We still have a lot of work to go. That's why we all need to be involved in this warning and teaching everyone with the wisdom God's given you. We never graduate from this, this reality, this desire, this hunger. We have it as parents in our hearts. What do we want for our children? Well, you know, it, we do it one step at a time, don't we? You know, we want them to actually be able to feed themselves and keep the food in their mouth and chew and swallow. That's like, that's, you know, we want them to be able to use the toilet by themselves without having to call for my help or other things. So we move it step by step. But ultimately what we're wanting is for them to take their place in society and to become functioning adults who are contributing to the betterment of society. But even more than that, as a follower of Christ, we want them to become perfect in Christ. We want them to become complete and mature. We want them to grow up into the wisdom and stature of Christ. That's what we carry in our hearts. That's why we do what we do. That's why, we, that's why we come on a Sunday morning, that's why we're involved in house church, that's why we're down the prayer room, that's why we take them to New Life Kids and New Life Youth and all these things. This is what we give ourselves to. But it's, it's not to just give them activity to do. It's to say, what this goal, this is the driving motivation of all that we're doing as a parent, all that we're doing in the life of our church is that we would all grow up and to become complete 
and mature in Christ. That's what Paul wants. And he picks this up in his other letter in Ephesians. If we go to that Ephesians 4, again, like I said, there's a tripping over things where Paul says things like, um, he's working, he wants us to be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the being full and the, the full and complete standard of Christ, no longer immature, not tossed about. One of, the, one of the things that we said right at the very beginning when we started New Life is that we wanted to raise a community that were people who were self-responsible, people who weren't living as victims, people who weren't blaming other people for what was going right or wrong in their life or anything, but who were going, I am responsible for my life. I am responsible for my choices. There's lots of things I don't have any control over. Surprising things, aren't they? You get, the, you get a cold, you get the flu, knocks you out for over a week, and you find how little control you have over your life. But actually in the middle of all that, you still find I have control over my choices and my responses in the midst of this. That's what I've got control over. I can, I'm still self-responsible. I'm responsible to God for my choices. I'm responsible to the people around me. That's what it means to become mature. Not tossed about and blown by every wind of new teaching. Everything that blows through. Uh, we could spend a lot of time there. We won't. Not influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Oh, we've got all sorts of new words for that, haven't we, today? Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Now, that requires a couple of things, doesn't it? It requires, firstly, that we know what truth is. Secondly, it means we know what love is and we know how to speak that truth in love. And we're willing to do that even at the cost of things so that and the goal is growing in every way more and more like Christ this is the goal Jesus is the goal Jesus is the end game everybody this city this region worshipping Jesus because they've been captivated by who he is and one of the ways that people are captivated by the beauty of Jesus is because they see him in people which requires us to be up close to people who don't know Jesus without compromising Jesus there's some funny stuff going around in the in the world about you know Jesus except Jesus hanging out with sinners and that is true Jesus hung out with sinners but not to affirm them for their sin but to call them to God. And sometimes I've seen Christians get that so wrong. They're really good on the hangout with the people who aren't following Christ bit. They're, they're rippers at that. They win that trophy. They do it. And in fact, when they're hanging out with people who don't know Jesus, they look and sound exactly like those people who don't know Jesus. That's not what they need. They need someone who will speak truth in love, someone who will hang out with them and call them to God, which is what we're to do. And this is what Paul says, going back to Colossians. This is why I work. This is why I struggle so hard. This is why I have to learn to depend on Christ's mighty power. It's not dependent on my words or my language or anything. I can't convince anybody, but I can speak and I will speak for Christ. 
because he's working within me. Wayne, this might be a good um, time just to get you all thinking. So we're talking about this phrase, mature and complete, and you've just been talking about um, the, the core mm-hmm. matter here is, well, it's actually attaining to the full measure, the stature of Christ. It's becoming like Jesus, mm-hmm. right? It's becoming like him. He's, he's the ultimate example. He's the one we look to. You know, what would Jesus do? Well, he was mature in, in everything, complete. It was perfect in everything. Um, but I wonder what other passages of Scripture. So we talk about Colossians, Wayne. You've mentioned um, Ephesians 4 particularly. That's, there's yeah. there's um, very, very clear teaching on, on maturity there. But what other Scriptures would come to your mind right now um, as we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the New Testament actually and the Old Testament. It can be either. Yep. Are actually full of these kinds of teachings. It's a, an exhortation, a calling up to be mature and complete in Christ. What comes to your mind? Sermon on the Mount. Excellent. Well done, Tony. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is all about that. Yeah. It's, it's Jesus calling us up to, to a perfect, a complete and mature standard, actually. Yeah. Did any of you read the New Life News this week? Don't be embarrassed about that. That's a, that's a good thing. You win a prize. <laughs> well done. You can collect your prize at the door afterwards. Um, but, yeah, the lead story is excellent and it's from the sermon on the mount and it's matthew 7 verses 1 to 5 and and actually again yeah this this particular passage that was in the news this week is all about maturity and and he says um jesus says do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And uh, Peter uh, Scazzaro goes on and he talks about a synonym for the word judge. Can anyone remember what it said? Despise. It's mm, good. Despise. Now, Jesus is not talking about judging between good and evil. Okay, you understand that. He's not talking about making a judgment between what is right. He's not saying we, we don't speak the truth in love because you have to make a judgment to do that. He's talking about the kind, and he says in the article here, it's the condemnation of writing someone off. I can't stand you. So I just won't have anything to do with you. Worse than that, I actually might treat you badly. And Jesus is saying, have nothing to do with that. Because if that's what's in your heart, that's what's going to come back to you. And that's the same measure by which you will be judged. There are some great quotes. Some of you are going to go away and read this later. Don't read it now, okay? But there's some great quotes from the early Desert Fathers in the New Life News this week. Anthony the Great, perhaps the earliest and most significant teacher among the, the Christian Desert Fathers, wrote, he wrote this, Our life and our death is with our neighbor. If we win our brother, we win God. 
if we cause our brother to stumble, we have sinned against Christ. When Anthony refers to death with our neighbor, he means that we renounce our right to pronounce judgment over them, a challenge difficult enough to be described as a death. And one more quote from another prominent 4th century desert father. And he said that a mature, non-judgmental love toward others is the foundational virtue or character quality upon which all others are built. There is no other virtue than that of not being scornful, that is despising anyone. This is what Jesus is calling us up to when he says, do not judge. Be careful what you harbor in your heart and be careful what you speak with your lips. And this surely, yep, Sermon on the Mount, it's all, all about rising up to the standard of maturity that is to be like Christ. Yeah. yeah. Any others? Any other passages okay. come to mind? Yeah. Book of James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just been, we've just been studying that in house churches, right? Anything in particular, Still Damien? What you thinking there? Any... Controlling the... Right. Watch over your tongue. Welcome people in. Yeah. Seeking wisdom. Yeah, lots of, lots of very practical stuff there about how we are to be as Christian com- community and how we reflect, you know, how this is about Christ. This is about Jesus. This is about loving people the way Jesus loved people. Any other, mm. any other passages come to mind? There's actually lots, lots and lots. Where's the one that says, have this mind, have this same mind, this same attitude? Philippians 2. Two. Right, Philippians 2, have the same mind as Christ, have the same attitude, arm yourselves with this. He didn't grasp equality with God. He laid it down. He became obedient. He took on my, uh, my frame, like a, the human frame, and he was obedient, even humbled himself to death on a cross. It's powerful words. We're called up to that. Any others? Romans 12. Romans 12? Thinking specifically of? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With what? With what are you going to renew your mind? What are you going to renew your mind with? The word of God. Yes. Absolutely. So there's a call up there to have, yeah, have that ongoing transforming power of the Holy Spirit as we, we're fed through the word of God and our, the word washes us, the word matures us, the word guides us. It conforms our thinking when we take it on. It's all about maturity. Any other standout ones that you can think of? The instructions to the kings, Old Testament, yes. around reading the law. Mm. You want to explain that, Daniel? Yes. Do not depart from this word. Yes. That's it. Absolutely. That's maturity. The one who clings to the word of God, who will not depart from the law of God, who loves the statutes of God. Psalm 119, right? Yeah. Any others spring to mind? I think I heard someone else. Yes, Adriana. 1 Corinthians 13. 
The greatest of these is love. Now, let me tell you the most excellent way, Paul says, in the midst of all your fighting and arguing over who's got the greatest gifts. Let me point you to the greatest thing, which is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, You know, all those things. And, and I love the bit where um, Paul says, when I was a child, <laughs> I thought like a child. I behaved like a child. <laughs> I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. That's what should be happening. That's what happens. Yeah. We put the childish things away. What if tonight around the dinner table you took a real risk and said, okay, I want you all to tell me the, the ways in which I behave childishly. It would even take maturity to have that conversation, right? And to be able to speak truth. To be able with to speak love. truth in love. Yeah, not yes. that ram it over the head, bang, yes, bang, some, bang, bang smash you in the ground. Yeah. Let me weaponize this against you. Better to say, let, let me, me think about whack. that for a few days and I'll make some <laughs> notes. <laughs> Rather than weaponize it against you. Yeah. So. so many. You, you, mm. Yeah, so many. Psalm, even Psalm 27, right? The context of Psalm 27, we know this chapter really well. Um, it's, it, it's all about David's one thing cry, this one thing I okay. desire, you know, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, you know, to live in, in his presence, to, to see the beauty of the Lord. But the, the whole thing that he comes to, and it kind, of, it kind of works sort of itself a little bit back to front here because I would go, I would say it differently, but then he says, and then, okay, so this is my one thing desire. He goes, and then, here's the reason, when the day of trouble comes, I'm held firm. I'll give yeah. you the paraphrase. Mm -hmm. You hold me. Yeah. That follows the one thing I desire. He talks about fear at the beginning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? And gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, that is the antidote to fear, people. If you're feeling afraid, you need to gaze more. So that, that's a maturing recipe. <laughs> gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Be in his presence. Because his love drives out fear. Amen? Okay. You wonder, when, how did David learn that? How did David learn that the Lord is my light and my salvation? Of whom shall I, I don't need to be afraid of anyone. I'm not asking you to call things out. I am asking you to think. How do you learn that? How do you, let me ask it a bit differently. How do you learn long-suffering? How do, you, how do you learn patient endurance? How do you learn uh, not, to not to return evil with evil, but with good? How do you learn how to bless those who curse you? You've got to be put in situations where those things are happening. So if you think about David, 
learning these things. How did he learn all that thing? That this thing I wanted to do is gaze on the beauty of the Lord. It wasn't because he was, you know, safely ensconced in his kingly palace. I'd say he learned all these things as Saul is pursuing him all over the countryside. I'd say he's learning these things as he's, as he's taking care of his father's sheep and protecting them from bears and lions. He's learning these things on the job. So the idea that I can learn these things, how can I learn not to be afraid and to trust in the Lord? I can only learn that when I'm confronted with something that scares me. So feeling that fear is an opportunity. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Not something to run away from. Yes. Not something to push that circumstance as far away from you as you can necessarily. Certainly. Yes. But rather to it's say... nuanced. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Lord, I don't want to be afraid. Mm. I want to put my trust in you. I want you to be in charge of my emotions. I don't want my emotions to be driving me. me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all things that, that we need to take on board. We need to realize, actually, that, that often when God is answering our prayers to help us grow up into the fullness of Christ, we, could actually, we need to actually anticipate some confronting situations that will propel us to grow up into Christ. You don't grow up by accident. And the same parents for your children. As much as we want to, as parents, we want to protect them from um, things and dangers and all those kind of things. But there are some things where they have to learn. They have to learn to fight. Uh, Which doesn't mean go and teach them how to punch someone in the face. It means they have to learn that actually, you know, when people are speaking against them, there's a response. There's a Sermon on the Mount response to this Mm. of praying, of seeing battles won through prayer. And so becoming the first thing of like, well, let's pray about that situation. Let's pray for that person. Let's, let's pray. All of these things. Because God wants to help us to grow up. And one of the things that I believe God's looking for, particularly in this, in this season in which we are on the earth for, which is to prepare the earth for the return of Jesus. I think he's, one of the things, key things is in this phrase is... From Ephesians, where people not tossed to and fro, up and down, all over the place, who are stable, who are anchored, who are grounded, who are confident in who God is. And so, yes, there's a whole lot of things that wicked and evil people are doing, and we've spoken of this many times, church. And we we have some awareness of that. But we keep our eye on Jesus, who is the author and perfect, perfecter of our faith. We keep our mind in going, oh, God, you, you, you are working out your eternal purposes. And we understand that. And we understand that people will rise up and they will speak against you. And all sorts of New deceptions will come into the earth. But we want to be, I want to be a people and I want my family to be someone who is anchored in this reality. And I come back to the Shema. 
Did I just lose you? Put your hand up if I just lost you. Yep. Shema. So, do you want to explain it? What? Well, Shema Israel means hear and hear yeah, and do. do. Hear and Come obey. On. It doesn't just mean hear. Yeah. So that's the instruction. If I don't uh, do, I haven't heard. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And so Deuteronomy 6, 4 onwards is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And it goes on and it says, And teach your children these things, my commands. When you're going out, when you're driving in your car, when you're walking the supermarket aisles, you want to be speaking to them about my law. You want to be teaching them my ways so that in all this thing, they're growing up with a confidence in who God is, confidence that we're part of this bigger story, of God's redeeming plan, that he's actually redeeming the world. He's, 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 over, he's over, going to overthrow through Christ's return, ultimately, all the powers and principalities that exalt themselves against him. So that's what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah, the thing in Ephesians 4 that I just want to point out is um, starting at verse 7. I'm, I'm just going to skip the sort of the parentheses bit in the middle, but just listen to this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And now I'm skipping. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants Fence, tossed back tossed and forth. Back um, and instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What stands out to you in that? Anything? What? What's one thing that stands out to you in that passage? What, what gripped you? Yeah, the togetherness of it. Yeah. The together aspect of it. To equip his people so that the body may be built up and become mature. Right? Mm -hmm. The body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does is its work as we equip one another for works of service so that we are built up. It's in community. It's together. And I think you were saying a couple of weeks ago, Wayne, that, that that's the whole thing. We, in isolation, we're not going to grow the way we do and we have to in community. It's when we are hurt, perhaps, when we go off the boil, perhaps, when there's seasons in our lives. I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons, disappointments, confusion, doubts, bitterness, why people retreat from the body. Yeah. But our role 
is to love one another as Christ loves us and to use the different gifts that he's given us, right? To equip one another so that there's all these works of service that are happening according to the giftedness and that together, right, we, and, and, and we will speak the truth in love and grow up in every respect to be the mature body. It's this picture of together. It's together. Anybody can be... Um, uh, well, I, I think of Alan Hood. He's talking about the marriage context. But anybody can be holy on their own. Right? You're so holy when you're by yourself. And people come around and all sorts of unholy comes out in our thoughts and our attitudes. And it's like, wow, did I really think that? Did I say that? What is going on? And we need other people to confront us as well. We need other people to say, you know, when you spoke that just then, I don't, I don't think that's the way... Jesus would have spoken that. And it's in the context of together in the body that we do these things. Or we choose not to do them. And we plateau in the body. I choose to just mind my own business. I hear something. "Mm, It's not my problem. Keep going. That's not what this is talking about either. This is talking about a mature love that wants every single person to lay hold of everything that Christ has laid hold of them for. Because you see, anybody can just turn away. And it's not because you've become really, really patient and long-suffering and you love and you're able to overlook people's faults, it's because you don't want the mess. That's what I'm talking about. We don't want the mess. We don't have to have to love a person through all of the mess. And Jesus calls us out of that place. He says, I called you to pick up your cross and follow me. (laughs) And that's what I did. I came into your mess Look what I did. Look what I gave up to come into your mess. And so mature and complete takes on this picture. You're coming to it now, Wayne, in in the repentance. Mm. What was the phrase that you had about... um, Yeah, there's there's a phrase about being unselfish. Indeed. I talked about the fact a couple of weeks ago we were looking at what we all need, repentance. Some of you might remember, and I've got a slide I'll drop in here now of how we promote repentance, and it's on the screen behind me. And one of the things we want to learn as we promote repentance as a whole body of people is we want to differentiate between uh, rebellion and emotional immaturity. We want, to, we want to be able to navigate that space. We want to be able to discern, is this, is this something that is to do with immaturity or is it actually some rebellion? Either way, it needs correction, but 
the re how I respond to it is going to be different. If I, un if I interpret something as rebellion that's emotional immaturity, I could end up damaging a person in the way that I bring correction. But if I, if I give someone um, who's openly rebellious, if I treat them as if it's to do with immaturity, well, then I'm actually going to foster rebellion in them as well. So I want to be able to navigate those two things. We also said we want to be able to sustain doing for God by being with God. And these are crucial things. Uh, we all want our lives to be productive. But the thing is, the productivity comes from being in the presence of God and being sent from the presence of God. We want to require people to offer their best. And I hope everybody finds it hard in New Life Church to be mediocre and to offer mediocre service. I hope you find it hard. If you don't, please come and talk to me because I want to have a talk to who's, who, whoever's overseeing you because they're not doing their job properly because we don't do that. We don't do blemished lambs. That's a reference to Malachi. And God is speaking to his people and saying, you're giving me your rubbish. You're giving me your leftovers. Would your governor off? Would would you offer that to your governor, to your premier? And so this idea of we can somehow like near enough is good enough for the church for the purposes of God is completely unbiblical and wrong, and we need to repent of that. Uh, we have to learn to talk about the elephant in the room, those difficult things like we're being, you're being childish. And we want to be people who look forward to the coming of the day of the Lord. So this whole thing, we're probably coming to a bit of a landing here about becoming mature and complete. And here's what we're, we've got four things here. We want to learn unselfishness from Christ. And this is what you were saying yeah. just a few minutes ago. Uh, yeah, I love that. This whole I love thing. that. Learn like, unselfishness. Learn unselfishness from Christ. Did any of you have to be taught to be selfish? I think the, uh, it's, a, it's a unanimous vote, isn't it? No, none of us had to learn to be selfish. We, we have that intrinsically. We have to learn unselfishness from Christ, who's the greatest example of that. Coming up to the Sermon on the Mount that you were picking up before, Julie, loving like Christ, not yeah. despising Others, but also not despising myself yeah, as well, because that's, 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 a big one that's too. it. Because often, mm -hmm. when I'm despising others, yeah. I'm judging others. It's because I'm actually, yes. I'm actually judging and despising myself in yes. that same way. So I'm just vomiting that onto yeah. other human beings. Yeah, and and can I just say that when we harbour that consciously or unconsciously, that 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 self-loathing or whatever it is you hold against yourself, mm -hmm. and then when you see it in someone else, you attack it. Do you, know what, you understand what I'm talking about there? Yes. A little bit of awareness of that. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the problem with that is that it cuts us off from the grace of God. Now, now listen carefully to that. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Is that correct? Is that in the scripture? Okay. We've got to understand that doesn't just apply to the people out there. It applies to myself. 
and some of the, the most powerful chains, the, the, the most powerful separators in our lives from the grace of God and the presence of God is what we are, the fact that we are stepping in and we condemn ourselves. And by that standard, I also condemn others, right? But we condemn ourselves. And the Lord would say to us, I didn't die so that you could live in condemnation, self-hatred. I died to set you free. And as you are set free, and you receive that from that most inner place, you will be able to love and forgive others. And sometimes I find when I'm praying with people, when they can't forgive others, there's often a voice in their head that condemns them utterly, viciously. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts for that freedom. It cuts us off from the grace of God. We don't understand what he's done. If I put my own self-hatred above what he's done for me on the cross, do you understand? How can I access that when I will not release it within myself? That's good. Thanks, Julie. This thing of losing my life to gain Christ is is so important as well because we all have this idea of this is what my life will be like this is my this is how my life will work and we 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 pursue that and there, that's not necessarily wrong but it's it's about there's actually something greater at times that that Christ has for us and this thing of actually I, I, the willingness to let go of some things that I think I'm I'm entitled to or that I should have and there's, there's probably, we've all got a laundry list of things that we think we're entitled to. But, it, but to say, Jesus, my life actually belongs to you. What do you want with my life? And as I was um, thinking about this this morning, I felt like that there's, there's people in the room this morning that are going to lay their lives down for the purposes of God in some quite significant ways. It, because you will, you will leave here and perhaps go to places where people do not have any witness for Christ. We call those unreached people groups. Because you'll commit to that. You will... You will invest your life in that kind of purpose for God. You'll be unknown, unnamed, maybe even for security reasons. You won't have a big following on social media. You will lose all that, but you will gain Christ. Jesus is looking for people who are really willing to lay their life down, to lose what they think they're entitled to for a life, to follow him into those places. And the willingness to wrestle, in a sense, how we have wrestled for 26 years in this place that began even before we started New Life Church. Because we're still longing for something more for the people of this region. 
You were talking earlier at home about Caleb mm. and how he, yeah. the whole thing of his inheritance. Yeah. You want to just finish yeah. with that? Let's, let's finish with this. Actually, the Lord woke me up early yesterday morning um, and I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, oh, get up, I want to show you something. And um, about 20 minutes later, I got up and, uh, and I went out and I'm like, well, I, I don't know. And I was praying about some things, and 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 I, and I, am constantly asking the Lord. There's there's two things in particular, two promises. I won't go into that, but I was saying, Lord, you've promised. I know, and your word, you are faithful. Your word does not return to you empty. You're, you're not like me. You're not like a, a human being. You don't lie. <laughs> you're faithful. And I was having this kind of a conversation, um, and and I uh, and I thought, well, I'll open I'll open my Bible and I'll, I'll find a you know a passage um, to read. Well, it, it opened. It was one of those moments that it opened up at Joshua 14, and I have highlighted that's a highlighted passage for me, um, and I I read it, and it's the story of Caleb coming back. Coming to Joshua when he's 85 years old. You know the story. Many of you know this story. But I'll just read it. I was 40 years old, says Caleb, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. Now that is the land of Canaan. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. You can see him looking at Joshua. You remember this, Joshua. It was you and me. He said, so on that day, I'm just reminding you, because like it's 45 years ago, on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked, that is in the land of Canaan when he went as a spy, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since that time while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, Joshua, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron. As his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephana, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Listen to this parenthesis. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Abba after Abba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Who were the Anakites? Why are the Anakites so terrifying? 
They are the descendants of the Nephilim. They are the Nephilim. Do you understand? They are the descendants of the Nephilim. Genesis 6, we've talked about this. They are very big. Yeah. Very big. (laughs) Very tall. Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. So not only is this a stronghold, Hebron is a stronghold, the Anakites are there, the descendants of Anak, but they're fortified cities as well. And back in Numbers 13, Caleb says to, um, to the people when he's pleading with them to trust God and to go into the land, he says, he says, their protection is gone. It's a fascinating statement. But the Lord is with us. Their protection is gone. Caleb understood that God was saying, this is my appointed time. And if you'll chase after me, if you'll trust me, if you will pursue me wholeheartedly, I'm going to take you in there and the victory is going to be yours. Now, can you imagine, how would you feel Caleb and Joshua stand up and they do everything they can against the other ten spies to convince Israel to trust God. They don't win the vote. They have to wait another, it's 45 years. But they're actually told back at the 40-year mark how long it's going to take. And he's already 40 this is, this is what the Lord confronted me with on, on Saturday morning. And I felt like he was saying, so which spirit are you of? <laughs> which spirit are you of? And are you willing to wait? You know, ironically, I found, I said, came and I said to Wayne, well, God's just highlighted this. And actually, the time frame, I, th- I said to myself, I said to myself, because when these promises were given to me, I was in my 40th year, and I said, so if I wait this long, I'll be 85. Are you good for that? It was amazing. If I can say Are we what, good for if that? If I can say what Caleb said, I'm still... <laughs> as vigorous. <laughs> as vigorous. <laughs> I'm t- I mean, goodness I'm a yes. me. Yes, hey. I'm a yes. I got... Okay, so Caleb, you get the point. He never lost sight. It's interesting that his whole name, you know, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, every time. Caleb, son of Jephunneh. It's like names are put there for a reason. Do you know what Jephunneh, his father, do you know what Jephunneh means in Hebrew? It means, because of course you don't, (laughs) it means he who beholds. That is a powerful insight if we would look into it as to what kind of a family this is. Yeah, it's good. He who beholds, and he raised Caleb who beholds. And you know what? Caleb had 45 years to get his kids toughened up because he's like, I bet he told him every day, you know what's going to happen when you're about... 40, we're going in. God's promised it to me and he's promised it to you. One of 
Caleb's brother's sons is Othniel. Who is Othniel? Where do you know his name? He's a judge of Israel. He's one of the judges who did mighty exploits, right? You know those judges who God raised up to? Yeah, in this family line. New life. (laughs) Whether you are young or you are in the middle or you are approaching where we're going or you're there already, you might feel like, man, I'm just waiting to go home. (laughs) Okay, wherever you're at, wherever you are at, these words must be taken on board. Because we have not done our job. Wayne and I have not done our job as, as parents, as grandparents, as leaders of this community, unless we have raised up a generation and we have herded you along and say, come on, yeah, I know, yeah, come up, to, yep, I've seen you've been missing a few weeks, where you been? Come on, don't you know? Don't you know who you are? And if you don't make it, how are your children going to make it? And our God is a God of generations who longs to give inheritance. So come on. Let's have the worship team. Come on. Let's everyone stand up. This wasn't just to encourage me. This call, this upward call to persevere. We pray, don't we? Second Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 3, verse 5, in the prayer room over and over. Oh, Holy Spirit, direct us into God's love and the patient endurance of Jesus Christ so we will not give up. We will not become weary in doing good. We have a generation who's coming behind us, and we've got to pass that baton on because he has generational blessings. And the generational blessing gets stronger as we tend to it with commitment and perseverance and faith in God who promises and who never gives up. He never gives up. And we don't know I don't know whether I'll see that day of jubilee for Fremantle the way the Lord showed me he's coming in a season to break open the strongholds in this city because he didn't tell me that bit didn't tell me if I would be alive to see it but you know new life he's going to do it he's going to do it He's going to do it. And we've got to be ready. So tend to your own vineyard, yes. But tend to your own vineyard with this vision in mind. Not a good life. Not a huge, you know, whatever. Whatever those goals are that you tell your children they should have. Tend to the vineyard, yes, with all wisdom and responsibility. But with this in mind. That God is leading us to an inheritance. And your children and your grandchildren too. Let us grow up and become mature and complete. And don't give up doing good. Ask the Holy Spirit to fan into flame. 
the gift in you and the works of service so that we can all be built up, right? Because there's work to do. And Jesus, he's the Lord of the harvest. He's looking. (laughs) He's looking for people who will be laborers in his name. Working together, spreading the good news, getting outside of the selfish zone into the unselfish like Christ zone. That's hard. We, we find that hard in Western culture. We find that really hard. But Jesus says, this is normal Christianity. This is following me. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, as we go into this last song, we thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came into our mess. Thank you that you didn't withhold anything from us. Thank you that you are committed to having a body, members of that body who are mature, who are like you and who welcome you back, who are just waiting with longing and anticipation for that day. And Lord, in this in this vineyard right here in Fremantle and the other places of the world that we support financially and we pray for them. Lord, we're asking you, we're asking you to do extraordinarily more than we could think or ever imagine was possible. But God, wake us up. That's my prayer today. Lord, wake us up that we don't fall asleep at the wheel. That we don't think I've got to this stage in life and everything's comfortable. It's okay. I cruise. God, shake the cruise control off. Get us out of that, Father. Get us out of that, Holy Spirit. We have one life to live. Teach us, Lord. Teach us to be like you. Would you fan that flame? Fan that desire into flame again. Fueled by the power of your love, God. We want to go because your love compels us. Not because we feel guilty or anything else, but God, because your love compels us. Because more and more every day I'm grasping what you've done for me. And your love compels me. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We worship you. We lay our lives down for your glory and your honor. Bless us, God, to be mature and complete and like your son.